I'm Kat, and I'm one of your co-hosts. Today's episode, Skylar and I speak with Cammie Nelson. Cammie grew up in Lancaster, California, and attends Antelope Valley College. During the episode, Cammie opens up about her relationship with her sport, overcoming physical and mental health issues, physical issues of chronic kidney disease, anemia, and struggles with disordered eating and ultimately, you know, returning to a competitive sport after multiple years of bed rest. And Cami is also a very outspoken advocate for mental health. I I just really feel like Cami had so many amazing things to say, has such an incredibly positive outlook after experiencing a lot of really hard things at a very young age and I think we can all learn a little bit about you know Cami after listening to this episode I know I did I know Sky and I just had a blast um, recording this episode so with that let's get right into it Cammie, thank you so much for joining us on The Mental Matchup. I am extremely excited to have you on. To kick us off, can you let the audience know a little bit about who you are, where you are, and what you do? Hi, yeah. So my name is Cammie. I am 18. I attend my local community college, which is called Antelope Valley College, or AVC. I play on their women's volleyball team, and Additionally to that, I would consider myself a mental health advocate. Um, I specifically work um, in advocating for like legislation such as the Kids Online Safety Act or for eating disorder awareness. I'm so glad to have you here. I also, for our audience, you have these beautiful butterflies on the wall behind you, which definitely gives Morgan's message and it like makes my heart so warm. I already know that it's, I mean, an honor to have you on this podcast and I can like imagine you as a mental health advocate already I'm really excited to hear about the work that you do um but yeah first I think we want to hear a bit more about you and your story um and maybe why you did get into advocacy work so where did you grow up and how did you first get into volleyball yeah so I grew up a little bit like about 30 40 minutes north of LA um in a much smaller like suburb in the desert um I started playing volleyball in sixth grade. I just, my mom played volleyball growing up, so she kind of coached. So I'd go practice with her high school team. She coached the freshman team. And so I practiced with them. And then in seventh grade, I got on my own club team as well as my school team. And I just immediately loved it. And then I played in seventh, eighth, and a tiny bit in ninth grade. And then due to, I had, well, mental health issues, um, including an eating disorder. And so I actually, uh, for my both physical and mental health, had to take off essentially all of my high school volleyball. And then I was so fortunate to find a coach who was, you know, excited and willing to work with me. 
at my the community college that I was already going to attend. And so now I'm playing volleyball again as a freshman in college. I'm like, oh, how do we even dive into that? Um, wh what was it about volleyball that kind of like brought you to the sport? You found love for it. Were there any other sports that you kind of flirted with here and there? Yeah, so I actually had a really interesting journey. I started playing sports pretty much from when I could walk. Like if I could walk, you might as well be in a sport is kind of what the motto of my family was. I started with gymnastics, but I'm currently I'm five ten and a half. So and I grew most of my height pretty young. So I I outgrew gymnastics about age five, age six. I played through age seven, but I was like as tall as I was with like I would be in classes with like 14, 15 year olds and I'd be the tallest one in the class. And pretty much my gymnastics instructors were like, we love working with you, but uh, you know, you might have some difficulties. So I actually switched over to playing soccer for a little bit from ages like nine to 14. Um, however, I, when I started to play soccer, that was the first sport that I decided I wanted to like really take seriously um, that as well as track and field, they're kind of co like together. And actually during those years, ages like 10, 11, 12, and 13, I was struggling with, so I have chronic kidney disease um, and I've been born with it. We knew I had it. What we didn't know is that I developed severe anemia, which is a low iron deficiency or like a low hemoglobin. And when you get very anemic um, to the point where I was, you can, you know, I was struggling to stay conscious during practice to I was a soccer player and we'd be expected to run, you know, at least three or four miles of practice. And I, I would, you know, get dizzy. I couldn't see anything from the warm up lap. So it became a very toxic coach. Uh, I mean, in sport, uh, the coach and just the environment wasn't a good fit for me, um, mostly because, you know, it was competitive and I, I couldn't, even though maybe skill wise, I was there, I couldn't keep up endurance wise. And then actually on the first day of eighth grade, we went to a normal health checkup. And they took my blood and I was actually admitted to the hospital and I had three emergency blood transfusions overnight um, to get me out of critical danger. And my whole world kind of shifted after that. I had been struggling with suicidal thoughts from ages like 10 to 13, mainly because I just didn't feel, you know, I put all my worth in soccer. Um, and then when you couldn't perform, in fact, I was getting worse and worse because physically I was not doing well. Um it was just such a relief in my life when I got that blood transfusion. And with that, I decided to switch gears and really focus on volleyball. There had been like a year in seventh and eighth grade where I did volleyball on the side and mainly soccer, but it was really eighth grade that I decided I wanted to switch over to volleyball. And a lot of that was honestly not due to loving volleyball yet. A lot of it was due to like, I had this mindset of I need to play a sport. I love sports. I love teams. And soccer wasn't going to be a good fit for me, um, honestly, just due to the medical trauma associated with it. I, I tried to go back and it didn't really work. And luckily, I got into a really good volleyball club in terms of like environment and community. And I just started loving it more than I'd ever loved a sport before. Like it really kind of brought me back to life and started to heal parts of me that it didn't break. And um, it just became like honestly, the first thing I loved. So that was really cool. I just, I'm a selfish, I want to hear like 
the specific parts about volleyball that you love so much and maybe what you know like what was that feeling of love like for you elaborate on that because that's so cool yeah so I remember actually the first day I came home I was young and I actually went and played in a club that was about an hour away from my house so I would have a lot of time in the car with my mom and I remember there was like a switch we did this like I don't even know I'd always been, so there's different positions in volleyball and I'd always been someone who like hits. So touches like there's three balls and I'd always be the hitter, the one who touches the third ball. And because of like some weird things going on, I ended up switching positions and, um, and I played the setter, which does like the second ball. And I don't remember exactly what it was, but we were doing this one drill and I set the ball to my teammate and she got this like amazing kill. She was this like amazing player and we all just celebrated. And I literally went home that day to my mom and I was like, I just like can't ever not play the sport because and I think a lot of that was like the team camaraderie in volleyball, something I hadn't experienced in any other sport. It's just such an uplifting and positive sport. Everyone really wants the best for their teammates. You know, it's really unique in that there can't really be one star on the court because you can only touch the ball once or twice. You can't be the person. You can't be one person carrying the team. It really is a very equal spread of everyone has to be doing their part. And the second thing I really loved about it was that there seemed to be, I always had a need in my life to like a drive to satisfy some like competitive nature in myself. And volleyball seemed like something that just, A, it was really fun. It's really fun to get a good kill or a good, I'm a libero now, which is like the, I've switched positions again. <laughs> so it's coming back, but um so I, I touched the first ball now I, I passed but something about getting a good pass or good set or good hit or good serve it's just really like rewarding and I would say the last thing I really want to say about volleyball is it kind of knocked me down on my face and I loved that a lot because it was really humbling I I feel like it was actually the sport and I'll, I say this all the time that I tried a lot of sports I still I tried you know rock climbing like indoor rock climbing surfing gymnastics, track and field, soccer, and softball, all before I made my way to volleyball. And all the sports came very naturally to me, but volleyball never did. I was never, it took me a long time to get up to speed with everyone. And I really loved how humbling it was, like in a weird way. And I loved, um, it just showed me that I was much stronger than I ever thought I was. That's really cool I think it's like pretty easy to be interested in things that you're naturally better at um at least I know like myself I definitely lean into like oh I'm good at this and like I do like a challenge but um like very much so if you put candy in front of a kid are they gonna like grab it or wait you know five minutes for you to leave the room and come back like I'm I'm grabbing the candy most of the time I don't have as much patience um so I love that viewpoint I do want to switch a little bit of a gear to kind of talking about your mental health growing up, especially with kind of the medical, I think like you use, use the term traumas, like medical traumas that you went through. And, and just with that and with sport, like what was your mental health like growing up? And beyond that, what were kind of conversations around mental health like in your community? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I 
was genetically predisposed to addiction and eating disorders. So there was a lot going on in our family. However, I never heard conversations about it growing up. In fact, not until I was 14, 15 and was diagnosed with an eating disorder, did I even know that anyone in my family had ever struggled with those things because it just wasn't something we talked about, even though it was so prevalent in my family. Um, I guess someone in my household was one of the ones struggling with it. It was cousins and aunts and uncles and grandparents and such. So it there wasn't a ton of conversation around mental health. However, pretty early on, I started to see a therapist or a doctor. Um, I remember like in preschool, I was just really, um, well, now I know it was anxiety disorder. I used to say I had a big case of the worries, um, but I started seeing a therapist, I think the same year. So I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease after a series of health complications um, that revealed that diagnosis that I was born with um, when I was six years old. And I think when I was six or seven, I was also diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder due to like, we, but we never did anything about it really. Like I didn't, I was too young to start medication. So I didn't see a psychiatrist and I just didn't, I saw a therapist twice and the therapist was like, she's fine. She's seven. She has nothing to worry about. You know, seven-year-olds are anxious. So we kind of went with that momentum throughout my childhood of it's not a big, it's not a real thing to like worry about. Um, I think my parents were a little concerned about it, but they never really led me in on that conversation. So I do know sports were a big thing for me um, along with my mental health. So while they brought me so much joy and life and freedom, they also, I struggled a lot with perfectionism and I generally tended towards sports where there was a right way to do it. You know, I did track and field um, and I did like long jump and high jump. There is, you know, for each person, a good and a bad. Like there's no, oh, you kind of made it a good pass. It's like you made your jump or you didn't make your jump. And it was really easy for those kinds of sports to lean into perfectionism, uh, which my anxiety fed on. So, and it all kind of, while this was happening, you know, I had the medical anxiety as well. I was told from age six that I would get, I'm a hundred percent going to have to get a kidney transplant someday in my life. Um, that day could be when I was 70 years old or when I'm 50 years old. Uh, kidney disease. Uh, Can I ask like a silly question? Yeah. Like, are you, will you get, will you have to just like get a transplant when it's failing? Like, how will you know? Is it, I guess like, that's my immediate, like, what? That's crazy. So when I was six years old, I was diagnosed with kidney disease and they tried to explain this all to me, but I have a much better understanding now. I see a kidney doctor every two months and I have my whole life. I get blood work done every month and they monitor my kidney situation closely. So there's something called, there's a lot of different ways to measure kidney function, but they it's on a scale from one to 100. That's how much your kidneys function. 100 being the best, zero being you're probably dead. No one really gets to zero. You're on dialysis if you're at that point. Um, I'm currently at like 40, I think which isn't great, um, but it's not, you get, when you get to somewhere between 30 and 10, it depends per person. It's very individualized how much your body can handle. You'll start something called dialysis, which most people have heard of. It's kind of like a medical intervention to help, you know, artificially keep your kidneys going. When you're on dialysis, you'll also get on the transplant list. However, kidney transplants are really hard to get if you don't know someone personally who matches you. So people wait on the kidney transplant list for up to like 30 years. 
Um, the quality of life on dialysis is not really all that great. I'm currently not on dialysis um, because I'm not at the 30 mark yet. So I haven't met with a transplant team. However, the way my kidneys work, I actually have a rare genetic disease that causes the kidney disease called Alport syndrome. And the way my kidneys work, and I've been told this since I was six, is one day I'm going to wake up possibly and just be really sick. I'm going to be passing out. I'm going to be vomiting. I'm just not going to be feeling good. And we're going to go to the doctor and they're going to tell me you're in kidney failure. Or it's going to happen slowly and progressively over years and years. There's no really, it could happen very abruptly or over a long span. When I first was diagnosed with kidney disease, my function was about 62. Now it's about 40. So it has uh, in the last 12 years gone down, but luckily it's holding. Um, but it's definitely caused, you know, when you're seven and you're worrying every day, if you're going to wake up the next, uh, living in a hospital for the next few years, it, it, it caused a lot of anxiety. Uh, and I didn't understand what anxiety was. I also didn't understand um, when I was playing sports and stuff, I like track and field. I remember when I was nine, I was I, I live in California and I qualified. I went to the semifinals for California for like competitive club track. And then I was going to go to the state finals to qualify for the junior Olympics. I believe it was the junior Olympics or it was the semifinals. For the, it was like some qualification meet. I know I was like, I, I quit track. So I'm not hundred percent sure how it all works anymore, but I was supposed to go to a very important meet and I was expected to like be the meet, one of the winners of the meet. And instead, I had to have an emergency biopsy on my kidneys. And so I took a month off of school and two months off of track and field. And I never really understood as a child how, like, scary and disappointing that was. But kind of to go back to, you'd originally asked how, to, you know, sports and my medical issues all affected my mental health. Um, they all played together to kind of to create a perfect storm building up. I guess throughout my childhood of not acknowledging that I was stressed, you know, not acknowledging that I was anxious. I never really acknowledged that the kidney issue was a real issue. It was just something we kind of did. We never talked about it. And on top of that, I was playing sports. I'm sorry. That was a lot. <laughs> no, no. I, I have another question. That's like also another tangent, like the way you kind of speak in your presence, like, I and Sky, let me know if this is the vibe you're getting too. Like, I really feel like you have such a gratitude for each moment and every day. And like, I would love because like you're you're living with something right where you like don't know what tomorrow is necessarily going to bring, and that can be a catalyst for a lot of worry, especially at like a young age. But you seem like you have so much gratitude and like love for life can you give the audience like a piece of advice that's helped you get to this place or maybe you're like I'm not always in this place cat like you know it's it's day to day but I, I would love I would even love for myself like kind of something that you help that helps center you every day while you know there's like kind of this cloud in the background yeah so it wasn't really always like that actually it's something that's been developing um, I actually learned it. So when I, when I had an eating disorder, I spent about, I've accumulated over two years. I spent like 400 days accumulated in a hospital or a treatment center. And I never expected, I was on bed rest that whole time, this 400 days. 
it wasn't in a row. So I'd spend like a hundred days in a treatment and then a few days off and then I'd go back kind of thing. But um, I don't submit my number uh, for comparison. I forgot that that can be like a thing, but I'm saying it as in like a lot of my life revolved around that. And I actually, I, I kept diaries during that time. And I just remember writing every day in my diary that stuff along the lines of, it was always about volleyball. You know, I was the goal, the driving force that I got better was volleyball. And, and now I'm playing volleyball, but all those diary entries were every day. I'm never, you know, my coach told me I will never go back. My doctors told me I'll never be physically well enough, mentally well enough. It's too late for me to go back. I can never go back. And somehow I found my way back. And I think when you go through something that like, I don't, I would say I just have such a profound sense of like, like how crazy it is a little bit, you know, I never thought it was how fortunate I was to have the physical capability to move my body in the way that I do until I wasn't. And now that I am, you know, I, I also, another aspect of that is I made a lot of friends in the hospitals and treatment centers that had various, you know, medical conditions other than eating disorders. And I think a lot of it brought to me like, how fortunate am I to have a bad game? Like I used to get so worried and stressed out that I'm not performing. But now I just feel like every time I've had a game, I remind myself, like, how fortunate am I that this is a worry that I am on the court? If I'm having a bad game, it means I played. Like, how cool is that? And I guess just it, I so I guess my answer would just be life experience brought me to a place where. And, you know, and kind of going back to the kidney stuff, I used to be very anxious, I guess, every day when I was growing up. What I have to make today the best. What if tomorrow's not going to be? there but even recently um two weeks ago I went to the ER because I thought I woke up and I was really sick and I was like today's the day I'm gonna stop volleyball because my kidneys are in failure and they weren't they weren't in failure in fact I had COVID <laughs> and I just I, I don't even I just feel it's such a privilege it's such a privilege and now that I understand that sports were never my right they were always my privilege that I just, not everyone gets to do it. And I think it's uh, getting to do it to any extent, you know, is like one of the most beautiful things about my life right now. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, Kat, I couldn't agree more with you. Like, Kami, you have this presence and demeanor about you that I have almost never seen for a freshman in college. It's crazy. It's like, you definitely have this almost this like very wise nature about you that's like dissociated from your everyday. You're like, I've had this experience and I can like step outside of my own body and see myself in the world from like a pretty wide point of view that I think is really rare. And that's amazing. Um, This podcast is presented by Morgan's Message, a nonprofit that was founded in July of 2020 to honor Morgan Rogers, who was a beloved daughter, sister, and fiercely loyal friend. Morgan's Message's mission is simple. 
We strive to eliminate the stigma surrounding mental health within the student-athlete community and equalize the treatment of physical and mental health in athletics. Aiming to expand the dialogue on mental health by normalizing conversations, empowering those who suffer in silence, and supporting those who feel alone. To follow along, to find out more, or to get involved, you can head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at morgansmessage. Let's get back to the episode. I, for the sake of like, I think we could dive into a million different rabbit holes with all the things you've been talking about. And for the sake of like covering all the parts of your story that I think are really fascinating and valuable for our audience, I would love to hear a little bit more about your experience with your eating disorder. Cause I think that's a, like that many days in treatment and in the hospital is definitely one of the more, like, that's a high number of, like you said, it's just a lot of time that was spent of your life dealing with that. And I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what that experience was like. Yeah. So my eating disorder, um, started when I was 14 years old, kind of right. It had already been forming and then it really took off. I was a freshman in high school when COVID started. Um, I was 14. So it had been kind of forming through body image, not even body image issues, just, um, cause I actually had great body image and a great relationship with food. I never struggled with those things. And then I started to, well, I lost, two things happened. One, I lost sports, which were kind of the thing holding me together. Um, I wasn't doing well. I had all this medical trauma. I had come out of a toxic friendship and I had this untreated, you know, really bad anxiety disorder. There was just kind of a lot going on. So I guess losing sports played a big role in the development of my eating disorder because I needed like a new competition. And so while I never thought I had to lose weight, it was like something I thought I could be good at in quotes. And then once I began losing weight and getting into the online, you know, eating disorder community, not like the community, but the seeing people post about pro eating disorders, um, it, then it, then I developed severe body image issues and a fear of food and, just um kind of became very not really a person very much and another really reason that happened was and I talk about this a lot um in some of the work that I do is social media became a very toxic place I just kind of started out of nowhere getting a lot of content telling me that I wasn't good enough and that I wasn't like an acceptable human being and that I had to lose weight if I wanted to be okay and that athletes had to do this and that normal people had to do this and that, you know, you have to exercise like this and eat like this. And as a 14 year old, you know, my main goal in life was to be accepted by my peers. So I kind of listened to anything I thought would help do that. And so those two things created a perfect storm over COVID and very rapidly my health declined both physically and mentally. Um, I It's actually was in September. So about three years ago, I guess, I was diagnosed with an eating disorder um, after about six or seven months, eight months of having one. Um, and it was just really hard to find 
the right kind of treatment. I continued to struggle. In fact, I don't think I got better at all. I got worse, if anything, until about, and I was in and out of hospitals that time. I didn't really try much treatment, like past the hospital level, because I was very scared of, you know, just from what you hear. And then finally, it wasn't really my choice, nor my parents' choice. So I had to admit to Residential Treatment Center for Eating Disorders. And that place was so amazing. I could not say enough good things about it. They knew how to treat eating disorders in a very efficient and kind way. I felt I really connected with two people, and that was the the head nurse and my therapist. And Oh, and a third person, one of the other clients there who I still am in touch with. And I just really fell in love kind of with recovery, I guess. And I felt very fortunate. I, you know, I struggled at times like, you know, I had doctors telling me, oh, like you're, you're a revolving door patient is a term that I don't really believe in, but that gets used, you know, by doctors or basically meaning you don't really ever get better. And I guess somewhere along the line. Um, I decided to give it like a hundred percent of my effort. I always said I was going to surrender to recovery, meaning I gave every aspect, my body, my mind, my soul, my heart, my energy, all of it to recovery. It really paid off. Um, it's been a little over two years since that point, And I consider myself pretty much fully recovered. I don't experience any thoughts about my body or food. Um, occasionally I have a bad body image day, but for the most part, I'm doing really great, and a big part of that was honestly the hope of playing volleyball. I remember in treatment, my therapist did something really unconventional. So in the eating disorder space, exercise is like a huge no-no. And my therapist, you know, told me on my second week, she goes, "I got you a volleyball, and you need to bring it everywhere with you. You can't play with it by just you're gonna bring it like put it under your feet at the table when you eat." Like she would, she sent a message to the person. Who was watching us at like 3 a.m. and someone comes in my room at 3 a.m. because I was like living in this treatment facility and goes, um, your therapist wants you to uh make sure your volleyball's on the bed with you. And so I have to like walk out to the living room, get my volleyball, bring it, you know, to my room. And I would literally take that volleyball everywhere. And then two weeks later, she had she used to be a volleyball player. So we would do this thing called Pepper, which is like two people playing, and we'd play together. And then eventually you know, I would just walk around the house setting the ball, hitting the ball against walls. And it was really unconventional. Like, I mean, most places at this point, you're not even allowed to go on a walk. So the fact that I was playing volleyball was like, she was the first person I knew who ever had that idea. And it totally worked. I, every day I went and I was like, I have to do this because I have to get back to like this thing that gives me love and life and joy. And then, you know, I, I didn't get to go back to volleyball right away. I actually tore my ACL like a month of him getting back. Um, but I did eventually get back. I recovered from my ACL injury and got back. And I, yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. Well, shout out to your therapist and shout out to the like power of what gives you purpose in mental health and like what that can do for people. I think that's absolutely incredible. And yeah, shout out to the, the whole treatment center for getting you to where you are today and making sure that you're you're here with us and like feeling healthy and and good that's incredible thank you um with that like can you talk a little bit about 
the because you have such a passion for it like the advocacy work that you're doing now and really kind of like what left the flame to start and how you started and kind of where you're going with it yeah so actually when I was in treatment that therapist shared a quote with me on my last day she told me I was going to do big work and inspire a lot of people and she said the reason I was going to do that was because she said she knew and she wanted to share with me this is sometimes when you heal loudly, you prevent other people from dying quietly. And I really carried that quote with me because I almost was the person who died quietly and I needed someone to heal loudly for me. So I started doing some work on Instagram, just really promoting positive things about social media. And actually within, I think, a year, I got a group of um, young adults together, all women, and we formed um, a nonprofit. We're, we're like a 51c3 nonprofit now. We do like a lot of minor work right now. We've actually worked with the treatment center I went to. We send like cards out to patients and we do some social media awareness and we have some upcoming projects. We're still less than a year from officially being a nonprofit. So we're very new. It's very small, but that work um, led me to, I actually participated. I've had a special interest in like social media and eating disorders because that was a big part of mine and I think it's preventable the way that we're running social media right now it's we can prevent a lot they're you know eating disorders are on the rise since the beginning of social media so I actually worked with the brand Dove on their social media um like a social media awareness project it was a commercial called the cost of beauty and it actually got over like 10 million views on Instagram. It's nominated for an Emmy and um, it won something at the Cons Festival, like the Golden Lion Award. And it appeared internationally. It, it was a pretty big commercial. And I was in that with my mom and it was about, um, you know, one of my friends who I met through that, her journey. And then they showed at the end a, different, a bunch of different people. It's like an empowerment thing. And then I had like, I was interviewed by them and I had parts of my interview posted on their social media. And then through that, I was asked by the Eating Disorders Coalition to come speak um, at a congressional briefing in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, which I did literally last week on Wednesday, so about a week from today. And I met with a few different Congress members, and then I shared my story in about 10 minutes to, like, a full room of people. Um, I met with some different staffers and really just got the both of those were promoting the kids online safety act which would help um all of this so i guess it's kind of some of the work i've done with advocacy and uh how i got into it i guess it's just that you know i, I gotta do it because you know i gotta prevent people from dying quietly casually in advocacy work and speaking in front of congress oh my goodness that is so <laughs> impressive and yeah just grateful that you're out here doing that amazing work. Congrats for Thank all of you. No, I think we're probably close to time, right, Kat? Yeah. So is there anything else, Kimmy, you want to cover before we wrap up? No, I just wanted to say thank you for this amazing opportunity. Um, I You guys were so great to speak to. And yeah, this is, I appreciate you guys giving me this opportunity. So thank you. We're not done yet. We have two closing questions that our guests normally are like, oh gosh, these are the hardest ones. Just kidding. Um, I'll start start with the first one, which is if you had one piece of advice for anyone listening, going through 
maybe something similar or dissimilar, like what piece of advice would you give them knowing what you know now? It's really hard, I guess, because I did talk about a lot of things, but I guess in terms of athletes, I would say one thing is that your sport can really be a very positive thing if you choose a positive, you know, grateful attitude about it. It's in the sense that like your sport can always be there for you. You can always go back and it can really be something you rely on in a positive way if you have that environment. Yeah, you know, that. through yeah, I was just going to say, like, that was, I think, one constant through my journey was that I always could go back to volleyball, the significance of hope and all that with it. Yeah, I could not agree more as someone who's, like, come in and out of soccer and redefined my relationship with soccer multiple times. Like, you can always go back. It doesn't have to look the same in other chapters and that's the beauty of it is like you get to recreate your relationship with your with your sport and make it whatever you want it to be so that that really hits for me um the last question we have is uh what is one thing you're grateful for say one thing I'm grateful for is like just everyday life every single day is I know that's a big category but just Every like every day's uh, wins and losses. I'm grateful for all of them. Cami, thank you so much for coming on the mental matchup. I I don't even know like how to put the words together. Like I just feel like you're such a bright light and have really offered at least myself like a ton of perspective. And I hope our guests some lessons and also some perspectives that they can kind of take with them and carry in their day-to-day moving forward oh thank you huge thank you to Cammie for coming on the mental matchup um, and chatting about, I mean, felt like everything under the sun, but, you know, about her own experiences with her kidney disease and really talking about the details for someone like myself who doesn't know much about, you know, that and taking it, breaking it down and then explaining really the mental health experiences that she had throughout that journey of getting diagnosed, getting her sport taken away from her, getting back into sport, you know, to advocating in where she is now. And I love the conversation. Hopefully you did too. So shout out Cammie. Thank you again for coming on and sharing your story with us. If you are interested in sharing your story, or if you're just interested in finding out what that might look like, you can head to morgansmessage.org. Org. You can also DM us, email us, you can do whatever you want to get in touch and we are more than happy to reach out and share the process. Um, another huge, 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 huge thank you to Morgan's Message for presenting the mental matchup. I think back to the beginning of Morgan's message and just having a conversation around how do we normalize some of these conversations and share these stories. And that's exactly what this podcast is doing, is they're sharing stories, experiences that are unique and 
cover a vast array of different, you know, mental health experiences, physical experiences, and it's just amazing, I think, what what we've been able to do in such a short period of time. Um, All that to say, if you want to get involved in Morgan's message, if you're interested in finding out more about who Morgan was, what Morgan's message is, or you just want to follow along, see what we're up to, you can head to morgansmessage.org or find us on Instagram at Morgan's Message. With that, we will see you next episode.